Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So you've heard that old line that practice makes perfect, and that is not true at all. No matter how long you practice, you never do quite become perfect. What is better to say is practice makes progress. And let me give you an example of practice. Pablo Casals, by the time he was four years old, knew how to play the violin. He knew how to play the cello. He knew how to play the piano. When I was four, I couldn't even play the radio. Hear this guy could play all these instruments. From the time he was four to the time he was 94, he practiced the cello four to eight hours every day. Are y'all at that level of practice right now? Okay. And here's what he did. He also, not only did he practice the, we have one child over here. we, We got it, Jeff. Have a seat. Have a seat here with me. We got it, all these people. Do they look scary? <laughs> Do you need glasses? Kind of, no? Okay. Thanks, buddy. I think Mr. Jeff's going to take you, okay? You want to run over there to him? No? Go over there, Mr. Jeff, right there. All right. Thanks, buddy. Let's appreciate the kids of our church. You know what I think? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think if anyone is not nice to a child, they're just not a nice person. That's what I think. Let's, let's be a church that loves kids, that pays attention to kids, and that leads kids to Jesus. Okay, so where was I? Yeah, let's do that. Let's not forget. And the kids aren't the church of the future. They're the church of today. They're the church of today. Let's help them know and love Jesus, and let's model that for them. Okay, so Pablo Casals, from the time he was four to the time he was 94, he practiced the cello eight hours a day. He practices scales over and over and over again. In fact, when he died at the age of 96, he had already practiced that morning. That's what he did. He practiced all the time because he said, I'm finally getting and I'm finally getting good at what I'm doing. And he practiced the scales every day because the scales make up the bones of music. So, we have been looking the last several weeks at the Apostles' Creed, and the only way I can put it is, not the only way, uh, my favorite way of referring to the Apostles' Creed is this is the New Testament in 100 words, but it's also our scales. This is what we believe. This is the bones. This is the heart of what we believe. And it starts with, I believe in God, the Father, that the defining relationship of our lives should be our relationship with God, no other relationship. And then, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, that to Jesus belongs our undying affection and our ultimate loyalty. So you'll notice, if you're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and again, we're not studying the text of the Creed, but we're studying the truths that the Creed points to, which are in the New Testament. But you'll see it's divided out in a Trinitarian format, God the Father, and the largest section is God the Son. And what we're focused on today, and we're going to see a passage of Scripture that embodies this perfectly, we see here the direction that Jesus Christ's life moved in order to save us. And here's the direction, down. 
Everything that we're about to read is about Jesus' descent to become fully human. So just walk through this briefly. Who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is ultimately initiated by God. We didn't make the first move to God. He made the first move toward us in the virgin birth. He initiated it. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus experienced the depth of love that only a parent can provide. But given the fact that Jesus was born into a family, this says something else. Now, I find this funny. Nobody in the first service did, so don't let me down. The only event we have from Jesus' growing up years, the only event between his birth and the beginning of his ministry, was a story of a family vacation. What do you think that says? Jesus knew the frustration of living within a family. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. I appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus knew the frustration. If you've ever been on a family vacation, you've lived frustration. Okay. Jesus knew that as well. So he knew what it was to be born in a family. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. One theologian said this, Pontius Pilate was a thug in a toga. It's exactly what he was. Think about the worst punk you knew in high school or middle school, the biggest bully, the biggest jerk you knew. Why in the world is his name in the creed? A couple of reasons. First of all, it anchors the life of Jesus in historical fact. Jesus is not an idea. He's a historical person. He lived at a real point in time. But not only that, get this. Jesus knew the love of a mother. He also knew the worst hatred of an evil individual. He's experienced the entire breadth of human emotions and human relationships. He's seen it all. So he was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried. Notice the downward descent, but not only there, he descended to the dead. Now, if you read some translations of the Apostles' Creed, and I'm not going to get into all the linguistics of it this morning, but some will say he descended into hell. I personally, from the Scripture, do not believe that Jesus descended into hell. I will say this. I hold it loosely. If hell would have been required, hell he would have done. But actually, the word here is Jesus descended to the grave. In other words, he really died. He was truly dead. So now we see this downward trajectory. And what this tells us is that there is no human experience that can alienate us from God. Jesus has experienced it all in his incarnation. There's no human experience that can alienate us from God. Okay, so now let's go to Philippians chapter 2. I said we're not studying the text of the creed. I did want to just touch on those things because you're going to see that same downward direction in the creed, excuse me, in Philippians 2 as what you see and what you saw in the creed here just a moment ago. So this is Philippians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 5. And Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So right there, that opening line, that's our application. We're going to come back to that. You can be sure of it at the very end because that's the point Paul is trying to make. In your relationships with one another, in your workplace, in your families, in your church, everywhere you go, your relationships with others ought to look like this. And then what does Paul do? 
he quotes a psalm. You'll notice, if you're looking at your translation, mine, it looks like poetry. It's believed that this was an early song about Jesus. And we're just going to look at the first half today. We'll look at the latter half next week. But listen to this song. Notice the downward direction. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is a song. Richard Foster writes this story. He said, one day a friend of mine was walking through a shopping mall, and his two-year-old son was particularly cantankerous, fussy, and fuming. Y'all have never had that experience before, right? The frustrated father tried everything to quiet his son. Nothing seemed to work. The child simply would not obey. Then under some special inspiration, the father scooped up his son and holding him close to his chest, began singing an impromptu love song. He sang off key. None of the words rhymed, yet he started singing, I love you, I'm glad you're my boy, you make me happy, I like the way you laugh. On they went from store, one store to the next, and quietly the father continued to sing off key and making up words that didn't rhyme. The child relaxed and became still, listening to the strange and wonderful music. Finally, they finished shopping and went to the car, and as the father opened the door and prepared to buckle his son into the car seat, the child lifted his head right on cue and said, sing it again to me, Daddy. <laughs> sing it again. There's this love song that the father sang over his son. This is what Philippians 2 is. It's a love song that God will not stop. He'll go as low as is required in Christ to show you how much you are loved. And so this song, early Christians sang it. Let's let them sing it over us again today. Here's three verses I want to tackle. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever corrected somebody and they say something to the effect of, do you know who I am? Have you ever heard somebody say that? One of my kids said that growing up here in this church. And I won't tell you which one, but it was Seth. <laughs> that a children's leader told him to do something, pick up some trash, and he said, do you know who I am? I'm the pastor's kid, right? That didn't get very far with that volunteer, and I appreciated that volunteer, and I've tried to teach my kids not to play that card over the year. Now, now they don't want anybody to know who they are, right? But back then, they'd play that card. We live in a world that admires power, and so God could have come in in Christ and says, do you know who I am? He doesn't do that, though. Jesus doesn't demand to be recognized, but by the way he lived and died, he made it a point to deserve to be recognized. And I want to take those same words and give them a different inflection. By the way, Jesus lived and died to our power-hungry, status-crazed world. He says this, 
do you know who I am? I think if we as Christians try to strong arm our way through life, that's the question Jesus asks. Do you really have any idea who I am? And you should be like that as well. So Jesus had the status of God, but he didn't use it to his own advantage. That word own advantage means to try to snatch it. He didn't reach out. Instead, he offered himself up. Here's the next phrase of the song. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And I said this quite a bit. I'm going to continue to say it so that you'll know. If ever I tell you or I write you a note and I say, here to serve, that's my way of telling you I love you. And I don't mean that to sound catchy or kitschy or any of that, but I think we use the words I love you too loosely and we don't back that up by saying here to serve. I want to back up that affection with action because that's what we see in Jesus. Jesus touched the diseased. He touched the dirty. He touched the dead. He touched the undesirable. Just think about that for just a moment. He touched people who were diseased. And he just didn't kind of wave at them. He touched their eyes. He touched their ears. He touched their tongue. If you're wounded, ask Jesus to touch you. To put that finger where it needs to be. Maybe on your heart, on your mind. Jesus touched those who were dirty. Those who were with leprosy that no one else would even bother to touch. A few months ago, I met a man in our cafe, one of our homeless friends. When I shook his hand, I said to myself, this is the dirtiest hand I have ever touched in my entire life. And not trying to over-spiritualize it, I stopped and said, okay, I've had another experience that Jesus has had. Because he was not afraid to touch dirty people, those with leprosy. Jesus also touched the dead. There was a widow in Nain who was bringing out her only son. In other words, she had lost her entire family, and Jesus touched the coffin, and the young man sat up, and it was like a dream come true. And then Jesus also touched the undesirables, or I should say, Jesus allowed the undesirables to touch him. More than once, a woman would approach Jesus very discreetly and touch just the hem of his garment because she wanted to have that contact. Years ago, I went to the Air and Space Museum in D.C., and I grew up in West Texas, my middle school was called John H. Glenn Middle School, first American to orbit the Earth. So when I was at the Air and Space Museum in D.C., I walk in and across the way is Friendship 7, John Glenn's capsule that orbited the Earth. And I made a beeline for it because it was at eye level. And I got there and I wanted to touch it and I was disappointed because it was covered in a thin film of plexiglass. And I couldn't touch it, but I could put my hands on the plexiglass. When no one was looking, I carved a piece into it. I reached in. No, I didn't do that. Yeah. There's something about touch that makes things real. Why do you think God came to earth in the person of Jesus? So we could touch. And Jesus says to you today, here to serve. Don't care if you're dirty or diseased or feel dead on the inside, or you're distant from God, or you feel undesirable, there is no length to which the love of God will not go. One more line. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, verse 8, even death on a cross. 
So I use a hand sign occasionally. When I bless you, when I pray, I'll make the sign of the cross. And so people say, that's a, that's a Catholic thing. No, that's a Christian thing. Goes back to the earliest Christians. What it is, it identifies what team we're on. Let me explain a little bit. If you happen to have gone to TCU, you make this hand sign, don't you? It's a horn frog if you don't know what that is. If you're a Baylor bear, what's the sign? I don't, yeah, this. Could go not think of anything else, you know? Um, if you're from, say you're from the University of Texas, what sign would you make in that regards, right? And the only thing OU can do is like that. Like that. Get your own sign, you know? If you're from OSU, you do this. Now, I did say at the first service, I said, I don't think Arkansas has a team sign. Y'all just sound like a bunch of demon-possessed people when you call the hogs. But then I had one Arkansas student come up to me afterwards and say, the sign is this. You know, this just looks like you're snobby. That's all that looks like. That's all that looks like. You're not getting a kick out of that like I thought you would, right? right. All teams have signs, and you say, this is the team I identify with by the signs you make. Here's our team sign. Cross. It's the ultimate expression of God's love for us. It was a way for the Roman government to eliminate anyone who got in their way. By the way, you might know this bit of history just from the movies, but there was a slave rebellion 80 years before Jesus. 6,000 slaves conducted an uprising. The leader was named Spartacus. And what the Romans did to put down that uprising, they crucified 6,000 slaves on a road 90 miles long. Imagine driving from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, and every time you see a telephone pole, there's somebody hanging on it. They used crucifixion to run over people. It was the ultimate and cultural disgrace. That's how far Jesus was willing to go down. And this is the team we're on. So... We're not only talking about the lordship of Jesus and what that means. The application Paul gives, and I told you we'd come back to it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's how we are to relate to one another. So, two applications. Oh, isn't that convenient? Two applications I want to make just briefly this morning. I know I'm taking my life into my hands, right? Here's the first one. If what Paul says about Jesus is true, that means for you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, we should become servants. Not celebrities, not spectators, servants. I'm going to reference another movie. If you've not seen it, if you don't like a lot of violence, you probably need to be careful with this, but Hacksaw Ridge with uh, Andrew Garfield in it. And it's a true story of Desmond Doss, private during the Second World War, signed up as a medic, didn't want to carry a weapon, was his own conviction not to carry a weapon, and he wasn't a coward. He was willing to go into battle. He just made a commitment to himself and God that he would never touch a gun. So they allow him to go into battle, and not only any battle, it was the Battle of Okinawa. And he went in without a gun. In the middle of battle, there's this great scene in the movie in which Desmond Doss prays, and he says, God, I've always been able to hear you, 
but I can't hear you right now. What do you want me to do? And just in that moment, he heard a wounded soldier cry for help. So responding, he turned and he went and helped that soldier. And then at the end, he heard another soldier cry. He went to that person and on and on it went until he had saved on that day 75 soldiers just listening to the cry of the person next who needed help. Here's my pastoral counsel to you. We spend way too much time stewing about, God, what do you want for my life, and worrying about God's will. What would happen if you say, God, somebody needs help, help me hear it, and then I'll go serve. I wonder if we won't find God's will as we're just responding to the next person that needs help. In your relationships with one another, take on the mindset, the attitude of Christ, which means we are all servants. Husbands, think about how you serve your wives. Wives, think about how you serve your husbands. Friends, think about how you can serve one another. Think about how you can serve your children. Think about how you can serve people you don't like. That's the way our relationships ought to work. Second application is this. Be a servant, no other way I can say this, be saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear very clearly today that the God of the universe was willing to go as far down as needed, necessary, required, or could even be expected to rescue you. This is who God really is. He's not a person off there in heaven somewhere watching us suffer, he was willing to get in this mess with us so we never go it alone and there's no human experience that could ever alienate us from God. 1955, Billy Graham was invited to speak at Cambridge University to the great St. Mary's Hall for evening meetings. The Times of London ran an article about Billy Graham. Here's this American provincial and even worse, a Baptist pastor coming to talk to some of the most bright, brightly educated young men and women in the world. And they said, what could this man advocating a primitive religion possibly have to say to us? Billy Graham admits that it got to him. And so he tried to create a series of really smart lectures, but he knew the first night, second night, it was just falling flat. So on the third night, before the third night, he got down on his knees, prayed, scrapped his talk for that evening, and decided to go all the way through the Bible and preach about the blood of Christ. Here's what one spectator that night said. I'll never forget that night. It was a totally packed chancel sitting on the floor of great St. Mary's Church with the Regis Professor of Divinity sitting on one side of me and the chaplain of the college sitting on the other side. Both of these were good men, but completely against the idea that we needed salvation from sin by the blood of Christ. But dear Billy Graham got up that night and began at Genesis and went right through the whole Bible and talked about every single sacrifice. The blood was flowing all over the great hall everywhere for three quarters of an hour. Both my neighbors were horribly embarrassed by this crude proclamation of the blood of Christ. And they must have thought that no bright, sophisticated young British person was ever going to believe any of this stuff. But at the end of the sermon, to everyone's shock, 400 young men and women stayed to commit their lives to Christ.
one person said, all I remember is that I walked out of Great St. Mary's for the first time in my life thinking, Christ really died for me. Christ really died for you. And so let your attitude, let your mindset and your relationships to one another be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. Let's stand together and let's pray with one another. So, Father, as we have prayed over the course of this morning, help us to trust you instead of control things for ourselves. Help us to do good and not give up. And help us to delight ourselves in you and not be discouraged by the messiness of the world around us. And to be delighted by this simple fact that Jesus, you were willing to go as low as was necessary to rescue us and to restore us with a right relationship with God. In that and in the cross, we have much to be delighted about. Help us to sense that today, Jesus in your name. Amen. We're going to sing our song of response this morning. And what I'd ask you to do is to take your communion elements. In this song, in the middle, we're going to take communion together, so just be ready. Listen, you don't have to be a member of this church. I don't care your denominational background. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to take communion as we literally taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just watch carefully what we do here these next few moments. It is an expression of the death of Christ for our salvation. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen.